Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. We have jumped into our um, stretch series, our stretch season. I like that word better. Uh, series, season. This is an opportunity where we get to expand our faith. You know that's an opportunity, right? You know uh, that, that growth and expansion and increase uh, always shows up as an opportunity, not an obstacle. But many times it feels like an obstacle. It feels like a challenge. It feels like a trial. But many times those are the very opportunities that God is trying to do something in you that only he can do. And so we started a couple weeks ago. And uh, even today's message, I just feel uh, that we've really launched out uh, with these messages where we've actually talked more about limitation than we have about increase. The first week, we uh, talked about one small step, saw the individual in Acts chapter 3 that was lame. He was carried to the gate called Beautiful, but uh, thankfully, uh, he was carried to a place but he came into contact with some people that would challenge him, amen? I know that there are times where I need people to carry me, but there are times where I need people to challenge me, not just carry me in my limitation, but challenge me beyond my limitation. And Peter and John challenged this man, said, you've lived this way your whole life, you've never known any other way, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, there's a power available to raise you up out of this and beyond your limitation. You can be running and dancing and praising right along with us, amen? And so we saw that we need to be challenged beyond limitation. And you know, I'm never more aware of my limitations than when I'm trying to stretch beyond them. I'm never more aware of what I can't do when I try to get beyond what I have done. Hello? And so, uh, you know, this awareness factor begins to show up where I begin to see increase in my life, maybe even potential opportunities, potential possibilities. But I'm trying to envision how do I get there. I'm trying to see myself on the other side of a situation or a challenge. And so this is where limitation has to be embraced, but it also has to be exceeded. Limitations in our lives have to be embraced, but we also have to learn to exceed, push past, get beyond limitations. Don't let the world put labels on you that God hasn't put on you. Don't let the world put identities on you that, the, that, that God has not, that he wants you to blow past. God wants you to discover a part of yourself you've never seen before. That's what this is all about. 2020 can be greater than 2019. And I don't know if you had a sorry year or a good year, it doesn't really matter. 2020 is gonna be better. Look at your neighbor say, 2020 will be better. Look at him, tell him, it's gonna be better. I don't care if you had the best year of your life. It can get better than that. God wants us to push past these things. So last week we saw where there was deficiency and insufficiency with the Israelites as they are uh, beginning to experience the promise of God and the deliverer has come. I don't even know, it's not a snap of the finger and, and, and God just makes everything go away. There's a process. And sometimes that process will take you what seems like a step backwards, but really is a step forward. Because he's trying to show you someone, not just something, but God wants to show you someone you've never seen before. We saw that last week with supply and demand. 
Moses shows up, tells Pharaoh, let my people go. He says, you think I'm going to let them go? I'm actually going to make it worse than they've ever experienced before. You're going to make bricks without straw. But this is the thing we have to understand is many times, you know, you, you don't find out what you rely on until it's taken away. You don't rely, you don't know what you've been depending on. You don't know what you've been putting your trust in. And God wanted to show them, you can put more trust in me than you can put in straw. Even if the resource is taken away, I'm still the source. I'm still here and I will supply all your needs according to my riches, not according to your straw. So if the straw disappears, I will still take care of you. Because he was about to show them, you're gonna end up in a wilderness and you're gonna have to expect water to come out of a rock. If you're struggling with straw, wait till you need water and there ain't rocks around. But God says, I'm the source. I'll make stuff come out of things that aren't supposed to supply that. But I'm the supplier. See, you got to figure out, you got to determine where you've got your focus. What are you setting your gaze on? What are you setting your eyes on? Because whatever you put your trust in is what you are depending on. So you depend on straw. When it's taken away, you weep and you moan and you cry. But when you learn that God can supply even when man takes away resources. But see, if God isn't my supply when I've got plenty, he won't be my, support, my source when I have little. If I'm not trusting in God when I've got overflow, but I recognize what, where I'm getting the stuff is not what's supplying it. Ultimately, God's supplying. I don't care what kind of promotion. I don't care how much of a raise you got this year. I don't care what kind of increase you've seen. It came from God, not your employer, not the government, not your check. Nobody gave you increase but God. So when he remains your supplier, when you've got plenty, I'm not moved. When I've got little, I'm not moved. Paul said, I know what it means to abound. I know what it means to be a base. God's my supplier. God is my source. God's the one making all this happen. Pharaoh didn't make it happen. You don't determine when I'm doing well, when I'm not doing well. Hello? See, whatever you trust in, you become enslaved by. So Pharaoh's your supplier, but he's also the one commanding you and keeping you within a limitation. God doesn't want you to keep you to stay in a limitation. He wants you to break past the limitation. Are you with me? I've already preached the house down. We could just close today on just recapping the last two weeks. But I believe God has a word for you today as well. Verse 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. I want to read this to you out of the... New living, it says, remember this. Everyone say, remember this. That means he's reminding them of something. That means that we've already told you this. You already know this. And most of you, if you've been in church any length of time, you probably have heard these verses before. But he's bringing to your remembrance. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously We'll get a generous crop. Isn't that amazing that what you get in return is measured by what you gave? Come on, this is, a, this is a law. This is a rule. This is a principle. I don't know about you. The last time you went to your bank and asked them for more money than you had in it, how'd that go over for you? Doesn't go over well. I'd like a million dollars. I'm sorry, sir. You've never deposited a million dollars. You don't withdraw what you've never deposited. And guys, can we just please get past the money today? Because this is not just simply apply to money. You're asking for love when you've never given it. 
You're asking for peace, but you don't want to keep your mind stayed on him. He says, I'll keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me. There's qualifications. There's conditions here. So you can't withdraw what you've never deposited. You can't take out what you've never put in. Generously give, generously receive. But if you give out of obligation, you give stingily, then you can expect a stingy harvest, a stingy reward. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each, you must each, you must each, you must each. That means everybody. Just want to go ahead and cover that. I know sometimes we like to come to church and we pick and choose the parts of it we want to uh, uh, participate in. But what would happen if we came to church and we decided we all must each? We all must each. We all raise our hands. We all rejoice in worship. We all give generously. We all serve and commit. We, what would happen if we didn't come in and say, well, I'm not really a worship guy, so I'll just hang out until Pastor Mark gets up there. I really like teaching. Or what if we said, yeah, I'm not really a teaching guy. I wish we could just do worship the whole service. So I'm all into the worship, but here we're falling asleep and not taking notes and not on the edge of our seat. What would happen if we all participated 100% through every part of the service because God's got something for you from the beginning to the end, from the time you come onto the parking lot to the time you leave, God's got something for you. You must each. But we, we come in with exceptions. I'm the exception to the rule. I don't have to do this, or I don't, I'm not that, or God didn't make me this. I just do it to the best of my ability. I don't sing. I can't sing. You don't want me up here leading. That's why Rebecca's doing it. That's why Robert's doing it. That's why these guys are up here doing what they do. I don't do it. You don't want me to. You'd be walking right back out the door. But guess what? When I'm down there, I'm singing. And I'm sorry to anybody around me, but it's a joyful noise to him. I don't care what it sounds like to you. Maybe if you were embracing your king as much as I was, you wouldn't even notice. Come on. Look at your neighbor. Tell him, you didn't come to see me anyways. You didn't come to see me. Why am I bothering you if I shout a little bit, run a little bit, dance a little bit, sing a little louder, sing a little louder, sing a little louder? You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I came across. You don't know what God just did for me. I'm going to shout. I'm going to sing. I'm going to run. I'm going to do whatever because it's between me and him. You can participate or you can watch whatever you want to do. This is about me and my king. You must each decide in your heart, not in your hand. You decide in your heart, you give with your hand. But the decision's made in the heart. The decision's made in a place where you can't see. The decision's made in a place that's invisible. The decision's made in a place where only God and you can give account for. You make the decision in your heart you make the action with your hand. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Not if to give. How much to give. This is messing some people up already. And don't give. And it goes even a step further. And just in case you think we're just trying to collect your money, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. We don't need it. We don't want it. Did you know that there's a gift that God doesn't want? There's something, honestly, he won't accept. He's not obligated to accept whatever you bring. 
Now, he wants to accept. He wants you to present a gift. And let's just get this out of the way. God's not asking you to give to meet his needs. (laughs) He's not asking you to give because he's needing it. He's not the government. He's not the IRS. He wants you to give to meet your needs. He wants you to give so he can get it to you. Amen. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Qualification. There's a condition. God doesn't just love givers. God loves cheerful givers. And God will generously provide all you need. God's not a barely there, just short, and even just enough. God is more than enough, generously. Why? He goes on to say, then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over. Most of us are just living to check off the box before the end. Then I'll have enough to meet my needs. And we're okay with that. But what if somebody else could be blessed by your meeting, by God meeting your need? What if we could think bigger that God, I want to give because I want to give to others. I want to give to you so you could bless me. I want to have so much love to give away that I have to give it away to other people that don't have love. I want to have so much joy that I can give away joy to others that aren't experiencing joy. I want to have so much peace. Anybody want an overabundance of peace, an oversupply of joy, an oversupply of finance, an oversupply of, of, of identity? I want to be so secure in my identity I can help others find theirs. But I cannot help others with where I'm depleted. I can't. If I'm not even meeting my need, if I'm not even the conditions for me, how can I be, some, be a blessing to someone else? How can I meet someone else's need where I'm deficient? He says, as the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor to those that lack it, to those that are deficient. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Now watch this. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then, everyone say, and then. And then bread to eat. For God is the one who provides seed. Wait a minute, I thought you were providing my need. No, he's providing seed. How does God provide a need with seed? Come on now. You're asking for bread and he gave you a seed. You're asking for a tree and he gave you a seed. The seed is the opportunity. You're asking for love. Well, guess what? He gave you a seed that now you've got to plant love in someone else. And until you plant it, it won't produce it. Seeds only produce in a certain environment. Seeds have to be in a specific environment, an environment conducive for its growth, an environment conducive for its development, an environment where it can grow, produce, develop. But a seed must first die before it can produce. See, we say what goes up 
must come down. But in the kingdom, what goes down into the earth must come up. So when it goes down and it disappears and it dies and it goes into a place that seems dormant and seems it's forgotten about and it's dark, that's just the very environment that God needs. So I wonder what you have in your hand today. I heard someone put it this way. Are you eating your seed or sowing your seed? Are you eating what you should be sowing? Are you partaking of? See, we... A lot of us don't allow God to meet our needs because we're too busy meeting our needs. I'm preaching better than you're shouting right now. Come on, we're so busy trying to get things done ourselves that we don't even give God room. We just want God to snap his fingers, the miracle maker, the miracle worker. Well, what if God's put seed in your hand and said, what are you doing with it? Why are you eating what I gave for you to put in somebody else and it can't produce what it's intended to produce? And on top of all that, he's not just trying to get it to you, he's trying to get it through you. Oh, if we could have a bigger picture of what God is trying to do. Go to John chapter six, John chapter six. John chapter six. So out of all that, what we've learned is the question is not, will God supply? The question is, will you sow? The que- we don't have to question God's ability to provide for us. I hope you understand that today. You serve a good God. You serve a great God. You serve a mighty God. And you haven't been the one person on the face of the planet in the last 6,000 plus years that has found the one problem God can't solve. He can solve every single issue and he's already solved them before you even showed up. Before you even had a problem, he already had a solution. Your God's too good to leave you hanging out and dry. God is too good. And on top of that, you're a represent, representation of him. You know, most, uh, the, the, the greatest picture that most people even see of God is through someone else. So what kind of God are you showing other people? Are you bringing God's character and reputation into question by your life? Come on. No, I'm not gonna be the one. I'm not gonna be the one that causes others to question the character of God. I'm gonna discover his character, learn his character, so I can reveal his character. And in John chapter six, we've seen this passage. John chapter six is the uh, 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 story of the feeding of the 5,000. This story, this miracle, besides the resurrection, is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. You think he's trying to get something across here? All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can find the parallel. It all looks a little different in each one. Same story, different perspectives, right? We get Matthew's perspective. We get Mark's perspective. We get Luke's perspective. We get John's perspective. And now John is writing us. And starting out in verse one, it says, after this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. He threw that in there because John was the last one to write his gospel. 
And by the time John got around to writing his gospel, it was called the Sea of Tiberias. It was no longer known as the Sea of Galilee. But when Jesus lived and when this story actually took place, there was no town called Tiberias near the Sea of Galilee, which became the Sea of Tiberias. So just a little history lesson, just trying to see who's awake. That's all. All right. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. I love the fact that people followed Jesus for what he could do. I love the fact that Jesus came to this earth and presented something that was so foreign and something that had never been seen uh, that it caused people to be perplexed, caused people to be amazed, caused people to uh, be drawn to him. But what we have to recognize here is that there's two types of people. There are consumers and there are contributors. And most of these individuals came to consume Jesus's ministry, not contribute to it. Most of these people came to Jesus for what he could do for them. Or even less than that, came to just see what he could do. We're just, I may not need a miracle, but I just wanna see you raise that dead man again. I'm actually good, but I just want to see you cast that demon out. I just think that's really cool. And it is. But it's dangerous, even worse, miserable, to live a consumeristic life. It's miserable to live life for what you can get. To make friends for what you can get. To go to a job every day for what you can get. To find a church for what you can get to leech on for what you can suck out. That's a miserable way to live. And Jesus has called a few, select few, a handful of individuals to a much higher calling, a calling of contribution, a calling of increase, a calling of advancement, a calling of participating, a calling of not just standing by on the outside watching, but actually being a part, being empowered by the Holy Spirit so that you can actually impact those around you, not just watch those around you. That, I hope, is you and I. That, I hope, is people that are sitting in this room, what we would call a disciple. A disciple was not a consumer. A disciple was a contributor. A disciple was one that came in saying, what can I give? How can I help? What can I do? Where can I get involved? What do you need me to do? We all need people in our life that will contribute. Now, Jesus still ministered to consumers. Jesus still performed for consumers, but eventually that would run out. Eventually they would find that consuming ministry does not cause me to be impacted by it. In fact, later in this chapter, they would discover that they would reject the very thing they were once drawn to. By the end of this chapter, those same people are walking away. Those same people are saying, I don't want none of this. Those same people are saying, this guy's crazy. This guy's a nutcase. We were excited about all the stuff he was doing, but now we've learned a little more about this man. I don't want anything to do with that. We don't want to go through life as a consumer. You don't want to go through life sucking stuff out of it. You want to be a participator. You want to contribute to the cause. The rich young ruler was a consumer. God, Jesus, how can I inherit the kingdom of God? What's he saying? How can I get? 
So Jesus tells him, the way you get, go and sell, go give all that you have to the poor. He's just wanting to know, do you have a bone in your body that says, I want to meet the need of another? Don't just give your money away to give your money away. Give your money away to those that need it. Live generously. Because living the kingdom life, at some point, you're going to hit the crossroad of the only way I receive is by giving. Putting something in. You see, Jesus didn't have to do that with his disciples. They gave all. They forsook all. They left families. They left homes. They left wives. They left spouses. They left all to seek after Jesus. And eventually, every single one of them, except for John, gave their life before due time. Was crucified, boiled in oil, murdered for the cause of Christ. See, we have to give. We have to be givers. We have to come in saying, how can I be a part and what can I do? What can I do? So we have this crowd. We have this crowd. You just become the mess. You don't change the mess until you contribute. So a huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples. With his, he didn't just pick some random people. He got his disciples and brought them to him. And Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Got this huge crowd. Now, it's interesting. Uh, I believe it was the New King James that says that Jesus lifted his eyes. Lifted his eyes. So now he sees a huge crowd, a huge group of people coming to him. Now, they're out in a wilderness. Other passages tells us that the day had wear, uh, had worn away, which means that it was time to go home. Time to retire the day. Time to... You know what? But there's a problem. We're too far out. It's about dinner time. We don't have any way to feed them. But the issue here is not what Jesus saw, but it's how he saw it. In fact, in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 14, I believe, it literally says that Jesus was moved to compassion. Jesus was moved to compassion. Jesus was moved and saw how can I help them? How can I meet their need? The disciples, on the other hand, not so much. The disciples didn't have any compassion. They just said, we need to get them out of here. Otherwise, they're gonna come to us looking for food. This is gonna become our responsibility here pretty quick, Jesus. We brought them out here and they're gonna come complaining to us. We don't have any food. I mean, you heard about the Israelites in the wilderness. That didn't last very long. There ain't no way I'm taking on the responsibility of feeding all of these people. We should have hired a caterer. We should have planned ahead. We should have prepared. We should have been ready for this. So Jesus' disciples say, we must send them away in the nearby towns to buy food. That's in other passages. But Jesus was moved to compassion. And in this passage, this is interesting. Jesus saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him, turning to Philip. 
one of his disciples, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? What's Jesus wanting to do? Meet a need. Jesus was a see a need, meet a need. And where one person saw an obstacle, Jesus saw an opportunity. Where the disciples saw a problem, Jesus saw a solution. Hello. Contributors find a way. Contributors find solutions, not just excuses. Consumers find excuses. Eventually, the music will be too loud. The service will be too early. It'll go too long. Uh, uh, it'll be too tight. It'll be too hot. It'll be too cold. Uh, consumers eventually because you're a consumer and you're saying, how does this meet my need? Eventually, whatever you are consuming will no longer be good enough. But contributors don't make excuses. They make a way. Jesus said, we've got to find a way. Where can we go to buy all these people food? He asked a very simple question. Where can we go? And then it says this. He was testing Philip. He was testing Philip. This is the part of the training we don't like. Let me give you a little equation. Ready? Teaching, teaching plus equals training. Teaching plus testing equals training. Teaching is not training. Teaching is an element of training. Teaching is a very important component because you can't be tested on what you've not been taught, right? That would be foolish. To be tested in an area where I have not yet consumed the knowledge. So I've got to endure the teaching. I've got to endure the, the, the taking in of knowledge and the growing, but then I have to be tested on what I've been taught. Otherwise, I have not been fully trained, fully equipped. Testing is where the application comes in. Testing is where the application, he's trying to give Philip a pop quiz. Philip, we're out here in the wilderness. What do we do? So he asked the question, Philip, where do we go to buy food? Where do we go to buy food? Okay, Philip, you're on. Philip didn't ask for this. Philip didn't hit a, hit a bell. Ding, 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 I got it, I got it, Jesus, I got it right here, over here. So Philip has a response. Where do we go? He was testing Philip. For Jesus, he already knew what he was going to do. Jesus already knew. Oh, I love it. Jesus already knew. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. In the New King James, it says it would 
200 denarii wouldn't even cover it. 200 denarii was eight months worth of wages, two-thirds of a year's salary. Go ahead and take your salary, break it up into thirds. Two-thirds of that, it wouldn't have even covered the amount of men, women, and children that are now their responsibility because Jesus said so, wouldn't have covered it. Now, I, 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 I liked English in school. I enjoyed it, writing and, and those type of things. That, that was one of the subjects that I actually did okay with, science and math, not so much. Another day has passed and I haven't used algebra. I mean, <laughs> I was right. I told my teacher every single day of my high school career, I will never use this in life. And I've had plenty of days to prove I was right. I was so tempted the other day to just let Camden use the calculator. One, because I hardly knew the answer, but I didn't want him to know that. And two, because you're eventually gonna use a calculator. That's why we designed the device. You probably won't even be bouncing a checkbook by your age. Who knows what's gonna happen? But I was a good dad told him to figure it out by himself. <laughs> Let me know what you come up with. <laughs> yep. But I enjoyed English, and I know that anytime you want to start a paper or you want to start a writing, there's, you, you want to answer the who, what, when, where, why questions. Who, what, when, where, why, and there's always that one that doesn't start with W, so people kind of forget about it. How? Who, what, when, where, why, and how? Who, what, when, where, why, and how? Well, Jesus asked a where question, right? Where do we go to buy bread to feed all these people? Philip responded with a how answer. And before you laugh at him, we do the same thing. Jesus isn't asking us how. He's asking us where. Come on now. See, this is the problem with resource. This is the problem with supply. This is the problem with our limitations is we're answering the wrong questions. Jesus, God isn't asking you how to get it done. He's wanting to know when are you gonna step out and obey me? Where are you gonna get it from? He's not asking you an if, a how question. He's not putting it on you to figure it out. But Philip is answering the wrong question. Come on now. He's answering the wrong, the wrong question. He says, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Jesus says, wrong answer. Not even close. I asked you, where, where do we buy the food? Then Andrew, Simon's Peter brother, spoke up. He had a little bit of Peter in him and spoke up. Oh, I got it, I got it. Uh, there's a little boy here. Uh, he's got five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? He's answering a what question. Jesus didn't ask what. 
He said, where? Where? Because Jesus knows something they don't know. But this is the thing, is before I go into increase, I have to first address my limits. Before I step into increase, we're talking about stretch, stretching ourselves. You stretch to get beyond where you currently are, not just to the edge of where you are. That's not really stretching. Stretching is when you exceed limitations. So that's where my limitations become the greatest. I now realize that the only way I can get past the limitation is by challenging the limitation. You see, some of us have gotten used to operate within our limits. Kind of like my son, Camden. We played baseball in the spring. I've coached him for four years. And he did great. He's, he's excelled every year. He's really become a natural. He's really doing well. And we got picked to go to All-Stars this summer, to play All-Stars. And the first day of practice now, we've got about three kids from our team that he's used to being around. He played second base for our team. But now we're on a team surrounded by the best kids from every team. So that's a stretch of capacity. Where Camden was one of the best, now he's one of the worst. And that very first practice, of course, he wants to play second base. So I had kids lined up at shortstop, kids lined up at second base. I need to find out who can infield. That's the most important part at this age. The outfielders are there to pick grass and, and, and follow butterflies. I, I'm just, the outfielders are, hey man, can you be in the outfield for appreciation? Maybe we'll, we'll work on third base, but right now I just, I need you in right field. And anybody that knows baseball knows right field is where you put the worst of the worst. And so I've got them lined up. And Camden steps up to second base. And every, every ball that comes to him, he goes, okay, do it again. And it gets past him, goes out in the grass. As much as it broke my heart, I had to tell him in that moment, after I got to see all the kids, Peyton's gonna play second base. I need you in left field. And he broke down. You saw he finally got in an environment beyond him that stretched him and he wasn't able to do it. Eventually after we talked through it and, and he got excited about it, I said, you can be Ronald Acuna. And he's like, oh, I like, I like Ronald Acuna. And if you don't know who that is, don't worry about it. Go Google it or something plays for the Braves. I said, you could be Ronald Acuna. And so he embraced it. And we had a great two games of All-Stars where we got absolutely demolished <laughs> by Albany, Georgia. And then we realized we do need good outfielders. Who knew? <laughs> oh, okay. You actually need outfielders. Okay, gotcha. So... Round comes fall ball, and, I, and, I, and we'd never done fall ball. And so I said, you know what, I, I'm not going to coach you. I, I, want, I want to get you on Coach Ben's team. Coach Ben was 
the other all-star coach. He was coaching seven-year-olds. I was co- coaching all, uh, eight-year-olds, all-stars. I said, we're going to get you on Coach Ben's team. I want you to learn from someone else, hear someone else, because, uh, you know, just like people in my church, sometimes you need to hear another voice, don't you? Yeah, you get used to Pastor Mark's voice, and you need to hear someone else preach the same thing, and then your eyes get real big. Oh, wow, and I say, I've been telling you that this whole time. It's the same. But hey, that's what it gets. So I get them on Coach Ben's team. And, uh, and I told Coach Ben, I said, I'll tell you right now, uh, I, I'm here to help out. I'm not here to coach. I'm here to watch. I need you to pour into my son. I need you to teach my son. I want him to hear from someone else. And he said, well, what position does he play? I said, I'm just going to tell you. He loves second base. But this is not daddy ball. I am not asking you to do anything. If he's going to play that position, he's going to earn it. We bought him some resources, bought him a, a net that he can throw the ball into, and he would go out there on his own, on his own. Get in his little baseball gear, get his glove out, get his balls, he'd throw them in, grounding them, throwing them in, ground them, working on line drives, all on his own, every single day. Got him a hitting tee with a net that he could hit the ball so he doesn't break windows and make people mad and lose them all over the neighborhood. Hit them off the tee into the net, collect them, put them back in the bucket, hit them off the tee, just over and over every day. Just growing and learning. But I told Coach Ben, I said, you put him wherever you need him. You need him on the bench, you put him on the bench. And he was joining a great group of kids because we were allowed to draft our, or be able to pick our own team, didn't have to draft this time. And so we, we got a stellar team. We went undefeated. We got a championship game on Tuesday. I'm inviting you out, Vaulton Field, Field 2, 530. Come on out. It's going to be awesome. I don't, I'm not buying you anything. You get your own concessions. But they have their championship game. And anyways... Camden, because he got outside in an environment that stretched him beyond his capacity, forced him to get better at something that he thought, in fact, he actually made this statement, because I'm on All-Stars, it's like I'm a pro. He literally said that. Okay, found out real quick. A pro left fielder that doesn't get balls hit to you except in all-stars, and then you don't know what to do because we didn't work on that. We only worked with the infielders. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we got a lot of learning to do <laughs> with South Georgia baseball. He won the position, won the spot, has had an absolutely amazing year. But we all do this. We think we're great because we've gotten comfortable in a zone where God says there's so much more in you. You don't even know what you can do. You don't even know what you can become. You don't even know what you could do. If you'll get beyond, stretch beyond. We need the training. We need the testing. We need the teaching. We need the testing. We need the teaching. We need the testing. So Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy with five barley loaves, two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? 
So Philip speaks to what they don't have. Andrew goes a step further and says, well, here's what we have. But what good can this do? I mean, every year, I know. I know because it happens in my own brain, believe it or not. Every year when we do a stretch season, I know that there's plenty of us that respond and say, man, I'm already stretched. Pastor, I could teach the stretch season this year. The first thing we look at is deficiency. The first thing we look at is limitations. The first thing we look at is what we're up against. But God is not asking you to consult your resources to answer the call. He's not, he's saying, where? Where do we go? And notice what Jesus said, to buy. He was fully prepared to buy all those people that food. Whether he had it already, I've heard plenty of people, plenty of pastors, oh, Jesus had such a great treasury that they could have gone into the villages and bought. I think Jesus was speaking by faith just like he was speaking by faith that either the food's gonna manifest or the money's gonna manifest to buy the food. One way or another, it's gonna be God that supplies it. Jesus isn't checking a bank account saying, hey, uh, Judas, we got that in there? Can you check real quick? Go online. I thought... I thought you knew the password. I don't know the password. You know. How much? All right, how much is it saved? All right, hey, uh, where, where can we go to get all this food? We, we got it back here. No, I think God is, Jesus is operating by faith. It's just asking a very simple question. Where do we go to buy the food? Philip responds and says, man, we ain't got enough money to go buy all that food. You seen the crowd out there? Andrew says, got a little kid here with five loaves and two fish. I mean, I hate to take his lunch, but I mean, that's what we got, Jesus. I I don't know what you want. Almost like a sarcastic tone, like, we got five loaves and two fish. What's your problem? You think we're going to take care of this? But think about this scenario right now. Jesus is asking an absurd question question for a few disciples and himself to be feeding a multitude. We're talking about upwards of 15,000 plus because they didn't even count the children and women. 5,000 men, it says. So Simon Peter spoke up. There's a young boy with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that? And how many times do we do that? But what good is that? What good is this this, this $10. Look, what can you stretch to? What can you do? And are you discounting it because of the size of what we're trying to do? You know, as we grow as a church, everything gets more expensive. <laughs> everything becomes greater. It's more expensive to be in this building than it was in our last building. I, I had to build one wall at the old building. I've got to build 
eight walls at this building. Everything's on another scale. I, I, I heard, uh, uh, went to a pastor's conference one time, pastored a church, 25,000 plus people in South Carolina, massive church. And he says, I've got the same problems you have. They just have more zeros. You got to fire one person, I got to fire 10. Your electric bill's $100, mine's $1,000. Mine just has added zeros on it, but it's all scaled to where you're at. Growing doesn't mean it becomes easier. It means the challenges that you face become greater because this is what, this is what happens. You ask God for greater faith, what does he do? He gives you a greater need. He gives you a bigger need. We climbed that mountain. We defeated that mountain. We conquered that enemy. We, we beat that battle. Now we're moving on to this. And if you did it then, you'll do it here. But the next giant's always bigger than the last one. The next city's always stronger than the last one. The next enemy's greater than the last one. That's how it grows. That's how it develops. That's how it stretches. So, he says, we got five loaves, two fish, but what good is that? Goes on to say, Jesus responds, tell everyone to sit down. Why? Because he got the question answered. Where? Where? Now, remember, it said Jesus already knew what he was going to do. But you know, even what Jesus already knows, even what God already knows still relies on your faith to step out. Jesus already knew, but it still required the little boy to step out in obedience and say, will my lunch work? Will this work? Childlike faith. A child that wasn't even originally counted in the census. What does that tell me? That means that God can use what even man would discard. Even the elements that we forget to put in the story, God says, that's what I want. 5,000 men plus women and children a child that's not even included in the story. We don't even know his name. But we know 2 Corinthians chapter nine tells us that those that share their deeds will be remembered forever. Did we just read that? You know, that little boy has an account in heaven to his name for what he did that day. And we don't know his name. We don't know his parents' name. We don't know what lineage he came from. We don't know who his ancestors were. We don't know what he grew up to become. We don't know even why he was there. We don't know anything about the kid, but we know that he gave five loaves and two fish and said, will this work? And now Jesus satisfied that he knows where it will come from, begins to work to organize this thing and say, all right, have them all sit down on the grass. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God. Can you give thanks for what you do have 
even when it's insufficient. Even when it doesn't meet the need. Can you still be thankful, grateful, honor God with it, give it to him to bless it? God, I... I I, I know we need to raise $10,000. All I have is 100, but I'm just asking that you will bless what I have, what I'm able to give. I'm stretching. This is all I've got, God, but I'm giving all I have to you. And I'm not measuring what I have in comparison to what the need is. I'm just giving you what I have. Here's five loaves and two. Well, can you use this? Will this work? And God, Jesus is only wanting to know where can I get it. That's all he's wanting to know. He's not wanting to know what it is. He's not wanting to know how you're going to do it. He's not know, he doesn't care when you're going to show up. He wants to know where can I go? Can I go to you? 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 In the midst of insufficiency in the midst of being stretched, in the midst of being at full capacity? Can you be the place where God can go to pull resource from? Can I go to you? Will you devalue even what you do have? Because you're measuring it against what we don't have. Wherever you build your focus, that's where you build your faith. Wherever you put your focus, that's where you build your faith. If I focus on my need, if I focus on my insufficiency, if I focus on my limitation, guess what? I'm gonna build faith and trust what I can't do. And most of us spend so much time looking at what it is that we can never see what it will become. We spend so much time looking at what it is. We spend so much time looking at what our marriage is. We spend so much time looking at what our kids are. We, but, but God doesn't look at anything for what it is or for what it has been. God looks at it and says, but this is inside. And it's a seed. And if you'll plant the seed, it will produce a harvest. But if you plant in a stingy way, you'll receive in a stingy way. But if you'll plant in a cheerful way, excited way, grateful way, thankful way. Watch what I can do with the seed that goes in the ground. God sent his son, Jesus, as a seed, the only son he had. God's got a million stars, planets, mountains, rivers, valleys, so many glorious things. He found the one thing he only had one of and said, I've got to give that up. And it says that unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it cannot produce. So he said, if I want to get sons, I've got to sow a son. You and I, are the harvest. Well, how does one son get back a harvest of sons? You let it die. And when it comes back up out of the ground, watch what it produces. Are you getting something today? Never. Now, I don't care if you've got a penny. I don't care if you've got a dollar. I don't care if you've got a hundred. I don't care what the value is. When you give from the decision of your heart, you put it in the ground, you let it die. Someone told me one time, they said, are you sure you want to be Asking for people to stretch during Christmas season? They're already trying to buy. It's the season of giving. They're already in the habit of giving. 
We're just eliminating the one that we ought to the Christmas present. I would give to this church before I bought Camden another Christmas present. I mean that, not just because I'm the pastor, not because I see the books, not because I know what's going on behind the scenes. I mean that I'm not going to cut my God short because I, he will make sure he doesn't lack. And he's a much better father than I am. He's a much better dad. And if I put it in his hands and he'll bless it, he'll multiply it, he'll maximize it, he'll make it full capacity. So this child brings five loaves and two fish. He gave thanks to God and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. Now, there's several ways this story could have gone. It could end with, and they had just enough for everybody to get one bite. And we would be worshiping God. Now we have, and everybody ate as much. They went through the second time. They went through the third time. They all judged that one guy that went through the fourth time. That dude going back four times. I've seen him in that line four times. And we could end right there and say, what an awesome miracle. But watch this. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So that nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted to God. Why? Because he believes in generosity. You're so full, you couldn't even think to consume another bite. But what's left can still bless somebody else. This is the God we serve. And he wants to do that with far more than some seafood and some bread. He wants to do that with your marriage. You're so full, you have to bless somebody else. Nothing's wasted. He wants to do that with your job. He wants to do that with your company. He wants to do that with your finances. He wants to do that with your peace. He wants to do that. You have so much of it, you have to give it away. Nothing's wasted, not to Jesus. Yeah, because that little boy, he was a leftover. We didn't count him. But God said, I'll use even what others forget. I'll use what people leave behind. I'll use what others would discard. I'll use it. They picked up the pieces they filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, because that's what they loved, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we've been expecting. 
It says, when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Why? Because after all that, they were still consumers. After all that, they still said, what more can we get? What can we get out of him? We're gonna force him to be our king. Why? Not to be our king because he loves us and he's given us purpose. No, we want him to be our king because we're tired of being ruled by these Romans and this is the God that's gonna allow us to cause a rebellion and fight. They wanted Jesus for their own personal, lustful agenda. Worship team, if you come. Skipping on down here. Verse 35, John chapter six. Jesus says this. Jesus replied, I am. Remember that from last week? I am. I am what? I am fill in the blank. I am Jehovah Jireh. I am Jehovah Rapha. I am Yahweh. And we learned last week that God wasn't just wanting to be the resource for the Israelites. He wanted to be the source. He didn't wanna just be someone that they went to when they needed straw, when they needed water, when they needed manna. That's a slavery mentality. Slaves live that way. No, God wanted to be Yahweh. God wanted to be the source, the redeemer. The deliverer. Don't just focus on what God can do for you. Focus on who he is to you. It's a difference. It's a difference. He'll do stuff for me, yes. But when I recognize who he is, I better understand what he does. So he says here, I am the bread of life. Why did Jesus know from the beginning It's all right, right here. He was the bread of life. The most important thing in your life is not finding out where you're gonna get your next resource, your next thing. It's going to the source. See, here's the thing. When you recognize who is the source, anything becomes a resource. Even a forgotten child with five loaves and two fish. Anything. God will use something in your life, someone in your life, the least likely. When you get your eyes off of resources, you get your eyes, you get your eyes, you get your eyes, you get your eyes off of what or who or when and you recognize I need to find him. Hello, you with me? Him, he's the source. When he's the source, you'll lack for nothing. When he's the source, God can use anything in your life to move you beyond lack, move you beyond deficiency, move you beyond your limitations. 
Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithaboutaustin.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.